0: Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org.
1: It's your Friday News Buzz edition of River to River. From IPR News, I'm Ben Kiefer. Coming up later this hour, Robin Upsall of Iowa Capital Dispatch on the final weekend of caucus campaigning will be heavily influenced by this severe weather we're having, no doubt. Also, the Republican agenda at the end of the first week of the 2024 legislative session. IPR's Grant Gerlock will be along as well uh, to talk about the appeal from Iowa's Supreme Court Chief Justice for greater support for the judicial branch here in the state. Uh, toward the end of the hour, a home state view of Vivek Ramaswamy, of course, one of the candidates uh, vying uh, for votes on caucus day monday but first of course we have to start with the big news uh, of this week the weather uh, after a record-breaking snowstorm earlier this week uh, tuesday another system uh, arrived late last night bringing with it dangerous blizzard conditions joining me uh, justin Glisson, once again state climatologist of iowa thanks for joining us again justin
0: good afternoon ben always nice to be with you
1: Good to be with you. Uh, Before talking about what's happening now and what will happen likely in the coming days, let's go back to that Tuesday storm. What a storm. Describe what happened.
0: Yes, definitely a widespread, very strong low-pressure system that came across the upper Midwest, bringing widespread, wet, heavy snow, that backbreaker snow across the state. You know, looking back to December, we were 10 degrees above average. We were above average in terms of precipitation but almost seven inches below average on snowfall. So we are catching up with snowfall totals across the state just with that system, not to mention the system that's coming through right now. So overall, we are plunging into winter pretty fast to have two systems just on uh, right after each other and frigid temperatures coming our way as well.
1: Yeah. What parts of the state saw the most on that Tuesday storm?
0: So southern Iowa, parts of western Iowa saw high totals 10 to 20 inches uh, were, you know, not widespread, but various pockets of the state of Tumwa had about 17 to 19 inches over a 48-hour period. Uh, So we had a a transition from that heavy, wet snow to that lighter, fluffier snow that's able to be lofted in the air by wind. Uh, So uh, basically, the main thrust of the storm was that heavy, wet snow, and then on the backside of the low, as colder air filtered in, that puffier snow.
1: Yeah, I don't remember ever having such heavy, wet snow, Justin. Large limbs down in my eastern Iowa neighborhood as, as well as in my backyard. These are live tree limbs, not dead tree limbs, but live tree limbs several inches in diameter, snapping from the weight of the snow, not from the winds. My uh, backyard, Justin, looks very much like it did after the 2020 derecho, but from heavy snow, not from winds. Amazing.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And you're, you talk back to that August 10th derecho. We still have damage across the canopies uh, of the, the trees that we have uh, across the state. So any kind of wind event or any kind of heavy snow event can exacerbate the damages that we saw back on August 10th. They're long lived when it comes to, to tree physiology. Uh, but definitely, I uh, look across the neighborhood where I live in Des Moines, 100-year-old houses, also 100-year-old trees, lots of limbs down, lots of damage. Uh, That heavy snow, we don't see it very often, but when we do, we we do get a a large uh, uh, thrust of it.
1: Yeah, large, well heavy, uh, wet, and sticky. It's stuck to everything. What conditions, atmospheric conditions, go into snow that heavy, wet, and sticky?
0: Uh, Sure, so the atmosphere has to be generally below freezing through the column of the atmosphere to support snowfall. The temperatures higher above aloft were uh, slightly warmer, uh, so we get a liquid to snow equivalent of generally eight to ten to one. So that means if you have ten inches of snow, you melt that snow down, you get about an inch of water out of it. Uh, so you, if you use a snow blower, it plugs up the snow blower. You have to spray WD forty. That's a little trick that I've learned uh, to get that snow out. But uh, definitely, this snow sticks. And it sticks everywhere, and hence the tree damage that we see. Uh, But also, we do have an insulating factor here. It's great to have snow cover on the ground when you get into very frigid temperatures because it allows that snow cover to be a blanket for the the subsoil, and it doesn't freeze as deep. And this has implications when that snow does melt of Mm. infiltrating that moisture into the soil profile.
1: And we need that, don't we? we, we we've got got to get, get to work on our soil moisture, don't we?
0: Absolutely. We've really diminished much of the soil moisture that we have across the state, particularly in eastern Iowa where we're getting the higher snow totals. We, we have a potential to see 20 to 25 inches of snowfall across eastern Iowa in that broad swath of D3 drought on that scale of D0 to D4. So these snowfalls will be impactful on stream. Flow levels, but also on that soil moisture as we get uh, thawed out um, towards late winter into spring.
1: Let's go, Justin, glisten to what's happening today, a blizzard warning in effect. Uh, now until 6 a.m. My information Saturday in Northwest and Central Iowa, uh, in Eastern Iowa, blizzard warning starting later today, extending until noon on Saturday. Uh, tell us about this latest system, and and uh, it will be treacherous uh, for travelers, uh, hazardous otherwise, because we're we're plunging into a real polar deep freeze, aren't we?
0: Absolutely. If you don't have to travel, don't. Uh, We have a winter storm warning now for the state. We're going to transition into a blizzard warning. And then after that, wind chill watch Saturday through Tuesday. So we're seeing an Arctic air intrusion from uh, farther north after this uh, snowfall. Uh, But blizzard conditions are nothing to mess with. Blizzard conditions are sustained winds or frequent gusts of 35 miles per hour or more in concert with considerable falling or blowing snow which reduces visibilities to a quarter of a mile or less for more than three hours we have a lot of definitions in in meteorology uh, but that is what we term as a blizzard so with this very cold air and the very puffy snow liquid equivalents 16 17 to 1 this snow is easily lofted so even as the system clears and our cloud cover cloud cover clears We're still going to have blowing snow and hence the blizzard warning uh, through uh, Saturday morning.
1: Yeah. And and just read it. Let me quote from the Iowa DOT on social media back to, you do not travel unless absolutely a must. Uh, This is from the Iowa DOT. Uh, on social media every major highway across iowa covered with snow as of 6 a.m on friday uh, with bands of heavy snow and strong winds visibilities are near zero in some locations our crews are out but roads may drift over quickly after a plow passes Uh, travel expected to be nearly impossible in rural areas today Um, please stay off the roads if possible a warning from the DOT. nothing to mess with as you said justin
0: Absolutely not, and when you com- when you couple that with wind chills potentially late Saturday, Sunday morning in the negative forty to negative forty five range, you don't want to get stuck out in on the road uh, in these snowdrifts or in treacherous traffic because these temperatures are life threatening to right. humans and uh, pets uh, alike.
1: Right. And, and um, you know, look online what you need in a winter survival kit if you do have to be out. If you get stranded, uh, Justin, we, we go with it. stay in your vehicle, wait for help to arrive is the policy, right, is the, the way to survive.
0: Correct. Because with reduced visibilities, you never know of the traffic behind you or any other uh, other things that can impact you. So blankets, food, uh, a weather radio, your cell phone. Uh, anything that keeps you safe within that car or vehicle if you are stranded outside.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, Let's take it on into next week. We plunge into, well, we have these high winds. We plunge into a polar vortex again by the start of the new week?
0: Yes. So the polar vortex has destabilized, allowing that arctic air to intrude into the mid-latitudes where we live. And it looks like it's going to stay over us for the next week. You look at the short-term outlook, 6 to ten, eight to 14 day, getting us out towards the end of January. Very moderate to high probabilities of colder than average temperatures. And again, this is coming off of the third warmest December on record. We're in a strong El Nino pattern and that typically means warmer winters. But with extremes becoming more extreme over the last several decades, these Arctic air intrusions are becoming numerous in wintertime. We've seen a couple last year and then the year before, 2019, third snowiest winter on record with a very cold air as well. So we're seeing these Arctic air outbreaks more often.
1: Mm -hmm. Zoom out a little bit. Talk about the larger atmospheric and weather picture we're seeing over North America. And, you know, talk a little more about El Nino, this warm phase of ocean temperatures, climate change. What is the mix going on? We, We talk so much about extreme weather. Put this in a little more context for us, if you could.
0: Yes, definitely. With climate change, we're seeing the warmest season or the fastest warming season is winter. And that has implications on snowfall versus rainfall, but also on those temperature extremes that we see. A more relaxed temperature gradient between the mid-latitudes and high latitudes uh, produces a wavier jet stream, and it slows that jet stream down. So when you have more waves, and that is the pattern that we're seeing across the northern hemisphere, very wavy conditions. And when you see wavy conditions on the large scale, that's where you see a very active storm track hence what we're seeing across the United States right now and over the last 7 to 10 days. In El Nino, as I mentioned, we should see warmer temperatures overall through winter, Uh, but this has a 54% chance of being historically strong El Nino. Uh, The last monster El Nino that we saw was 2016, which happened to also be the warmest year on record for the globe. 2023 will come in as the new warmest year on record. Uh, So we have all kinds of factors that come into play in the climate system. So it's somewhat difficult to parse out what fingerprints are doing what in terms of the weather pattern that we're seeing, Uh, but seeing a more active storm track given the drought conditions that we see and the water issues that we're seeing at locations across the state. Even though it's difficult weather to be out in, this is the type of weather that we need to really rebound from the drought conditions. So one extreme dryness going to another extreme cold and wet. It's just the way that the the cake is baked right now.
1: Yeah. What I hear you saying and quickly in closing, Justin, what I hear you saying is uh, this extreme weather week uh, uh, could be just the start of a, a pretty remarkable winter.
0: Absolutely. I'm a climatologist. I like averages and we are definitely not on average when we're looking at the weather potential for the remainder of the winter.
1: Justin Glisson, state climatologist of Iowa. Stay warm, stay safe, stay off the roads to everyone listening. Justin Glisson, thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Ben. Always a pleasure to be with you and your listeners.
1: Your Friday news buzz on this snowy Friday continues after a short break. It's River to River from IPR News.
0: Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.
1: It's a NewsBuzz edition of River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. Not just a big weather week, but a big week for politics here in Iowa. Of course, we've come to the end of the first week of the Iowa legislature for the 2024 session. Uh, The governor gave her condition of the state address. That was on Tuesday. In just a few minutes, I'll talk with IPR's Grant Gerlock about... The appeal from Iowa's Supreme Court Chief Justice for greater support for the judicial branch. Uh, That was during her condition of the judiciary address uh, earlier this week. Of course, the caucus is happening in just a few days. And so let's check in with all these politics uh, with uh, Robin Upsall. Robin is Iowa Capitol Dispatch reporter covering state legislature and politics. Robin, welcome to you. Nice to talk with you, Ben. Okay, let's start off, because I understand there's some real impact of this weather on uh, the last days of campaigning up until Monday caucus day. What's up?
2: Yeah, so there are quite a few events still planned for this weekend, today and this weekend. We'll see how many of them end up happening. Uh, Haley has canceled a few events already, but... Candidates are really emphasizing in their last few days here that, you know, Iowans are acclimated to this weather are used to dealing with it during winters and uh, urging them to still come out to caucus, especially in areas where, you know, 10 people at a precinct could change the results.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I noticed this is really turned into with, with all the polling showing uh, Donald Trump with a, a dominant place here. 50 uh, percent or even over 50 percent of the vote on caucus day. We'll see if that turns out. But it seems to be the big story of, um, a race for second place. I saw a poll released yesterday of Iowa voters finding that among Republicans, um, uh, this was the first poll to find the former U.N. ambassador Nikki Haley opening up a clear lead over Ron DeSantis. This was a Suffolk University poll of 500 likely caucus goers, 54 percent for Trump. Their first choice, followed by Haley, 20 percent. DeSantis, 13 percent. Vivek Ramaswamy, 6 percent. I know there are a lot of polls and this is just one of them. So so what do you make of this, you know, um, Nikki Haley's surge here?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that it reflects her surge uh, and the momentum that she's gaining in other states like New Hampshire and South Carolina. With uh, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie dropping out, I mean, folks are really hoping to find a candidate to unify behind in you know in the Republican presidential nominating process. And I think that uh, what we saw in that poll and what we're seeing in other states is that people. At least some people are thinking that Haley is the is the candidate to do that. Of course, DeSantis is also hoping that Iowa will be the place that, you know, he shows that he is a viable candidate, that he's the strongest person to take on Trump.
1: We had those competing events, uh, the DeSantis-Haley debate on CNN, parallel to the Trump Town Hall on Fox News, both events held here in Iowa.
2: <laughs> what um, did you think of those? Yeah, I mean... Uh, I was covering the debate and it was, uh, you know, a pretty intense uh, back and forth between DeSantis and Haley on the stage. Both of them were, you know, trading attacks about their policy records, about how they portray themselves uh, and their answers to Iowans and to the media. I think that Trump's event uh, more focused on his legal record, as well as talking about issues like abortion, etc., Haley and DeSantis both emphasized, though, in the debate that Donald Trump, you know, should be on the debate stage and that they believed he was kind of shirking his responsibilities to the voters uh, by not participating, as he has not for any of the debates this season.
1: Okay, a couple days left before uh, caucus day. Let's pivot uh, to the first day of the legislative session here in Iowa, convening on Monday. Of course, colored by the shooting tragedy last Thursday at Perry High School, um, activists, hundreds of them, rallying for gun laws at the Capitol. What was the scene like that first day?
2: After the legislative leaders began the session, um, a lot of high school and gun uh, gun safety advocates uh, came to the Capitol and spoke in support of passing legislation. Um, many of them were not optimistic about the legislature passing any legislation restricting access to guns uh, or access to firearms uh, that are more uh, more often used in mass shootings. Democrats asked for support in passing these, but, um, my understanding of the situation was that people were quite frustrated and not feeling optimistic about being offered uh, their condolences to the Perry community is one thing, but it doesn't seem like there's an appetite among Republicans to pass anything that that they would support.
1: Mm-hmm. On the first day of the 2024 legislative session this year, Monday, uh, I saw your article on a, a panel of lawmakers spending several hours considering rules to implement laws past that year. Uh, so before we get to this year's agenda, tell us more about why it's necessary to give some attention to laws concerning education, abortion rules, and child labor from last year.
2: Yeah, so these are some high-profile bills you might remember from last year. So the law that's restricting books uh, with sexually explicit material, the Um, abortion legislation passed during the special session. These are things which are being challenged in court and under injunction, so they are not currently enforceable. But outside of that, the rulemaking process is also necessary to get those to the enforcement level uh, when it comes to, you know, the state departments and agencies uh, having control over how to to enforce these things uh, in the long term. So, These uh, going through these bills is um, necessary to get these enforceable. For example, the education bill that was passed, despite some measures being under injunction, others are not. And once they get through this rulemaking process, uh, those other measures, such as uh, the requirement for parental notification for a a student uh, asking to use a different name or pronouns, that will be enforceable um, as soon as they go through the State Board of Education approval process. So this is just a step along along that uh, journey. Mm-hmm.
1: We have a couple minutes left to take us quickly through some of the uh, most important priorities for Republicans for this session otherwise.
2: Yeah, so Governor Kim Reynolds uh, went over some priorities in terms of uh, speeding up tests tax cuts, consolidating uh, the mental health and substance abuse centers into seven unified behavioral health centers, as well as raising teacher salaries. Of course, uh, doing some changes to Iowa's AEA programs, area education agencies. Uh, Iowa, uh, Iowa Republican legislative leaders also talked about them wanting to do a review of higher education And uh, make some changes to out of state hiring agencies uh, and their ability uh, to work in nursing homes in the state of Iowa as we're seeing um, issues being reported out of care facilities.
1: Mm -hmm. With the GOP in firm control of both chambers, and now that's been the case many years, and of course, control um, in, in the governor's office, how much will Democrats? have uh, a say in shaping the GOP agenda?
2: So when we talked to Democrats uh, after Reynolds' condition of the state, they did seem optimistic that there were some areas where they could collaborate. Uh, One of Reynolds' proposals was increasing teacher salary, and that was something that Democrats said they, they were excited to see and something they had been advocating for. Last year, we saw some collaboration on issues like the child labor law, Uh, And while Democrats in the legislature are are in a minority and, you know, have not been consulted on some issues in previous years, there is still room for collaboration.
1: Okay, we look to next week. Of course, the big political news out of Iowa will be the caucus results on Monday. But what do we expect from Iowa lawmakers at the state capitol next week?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that we'll start seeing legislation and start seeing some of the processes uh, begin on these. Uh, There have not been, I believe, any specific subcommittees scheduled yet, but I would expect to see movement perhaps on um, the AEA issues or some of the other uh, legislation introduced by Governor Kim Reynolds uh, early on here in the session.
1: Okay. Robin Upsall covers the state legislature and politics for Iowa Capital Dispatch. I'm sure we'll be talking with you many times throughout the session. Robin, thanks so much.
2: Thank you so much.
1: It's your Friday News Buzz on this snowy January 12th edition of our program. I'm Ben Kiefer. Let's spend the remainder of this segment with IPR's Grant Gerlach. Hi, Grant. Hi, Ben. In just a moment, I want to ask you about the condition of the judiciary address delivered this week that you covered. But first of all, some comments, uh, please, about news that broke this morning just after I spoke with uh, Robin Upsall of Iowa Capital Dispatch. Share that news with us, please.
3: Well, this is news that uh, Iowa Senator uh, Pam Yoakum is not running for reelection. Uh, representing the Dubuque area. She's currently the Senate minority leader. She's been representing Dubuque in Des Moines for a long time. She's in her fourth term as a senator, but before that she was in the Iowa House for 16 years, so she has a lot of history in the legislature. Uh, She released a statement thanking colleagues in the legislature and voters for their support over the years, but now she says she plans to step aside and create space for fresh perspectives, is how she put it.
1: Mm -hmm. So what is the significance of her departure, Grant?
3: Well, for one thing, it leaves Senate Democrats looking for new leadership. She's currently in her second run as the leader of uh, Democrats in that chamber. Um, She held that position in 2013 when Democrats were in the majority. And then last summer, she was chosen again to lead what is now a much smaller group of Democrats in the Senate uh, in the minority, Republicans now hold a supermajority in the Iowa Senate. And and at that time, she was replacing Coralville Senator Zach Walls after a shakeup that he said was about resistance to changes he wanted to make. Yoakam said at the time it was more about how he was making those changes. So I, I guess with her departure, it leaves Senate Democrats um, looking for a leader and a direction that they want to go in the future.
1: Mm hmm. Let's turn to that condition of the Judiciary Address delivered this week by Iowa Supreme Court Chief Justice Susan Christensen. What messages did she want to drive home?
3: Well, one message that she really hasn't um, pushed so heavily in her previous condition of the judiciary speeches. This is her fourth one as Chief Justice of the Iowa Supreme Court. She really was pushing for funding, and that's not a topic that she has put so much emphasis on in the past. Last year, she was really talking about workforce issues that affect the uh, the court system across the state. This time, she was really talking about funding, especially when it comes to pay for judges. She says that the lack of pay increases for judges from the legislature has resulted in effectively a pay cut when you look at the, the results of inflation. And she says it's responsible for a significant decline in the number of people who are applying for open positions when something opens up on the bench around the state. And so she's looking for a budget increase that can help uh, help the judiciary system raise salaries for judges and get more interest.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, she said it was a dramatic decrease in applicants that she found deeply distressing. Uh, Interesting to see how lawmakers will uh, react to that appeal. What else in her address this week?
3: She was also appealing to lawmakers to, uh, I guess I'd put it, to defend the integrity of the court. Um, She was saying that she knows that there are decisions that the courts make that are controversial, that lawmakers disagree with. But she wants lawmakers to, not just amongst themselves, but also publicly, whether it's with uh, constituents or other lawmakers, to really defend the work that judges do to, to consider that what they're doing is in good faith, and she said to, uh, even when you believe a judge is dead wrong, quoting here, they are public servants just like you and they are committed to the rule of law just as you would want them to be. Now, she didn't mention any specific cases or specific decisions that the court has made that made her feel like she needed to to bring out this message, but there have been some controversial things, at least. As it relates to the the politics of Republicans in the legislature, one prominent would be uh, one prominent decision would be the decision last summer to not reinstate Iowa's six-week abortion ban. This is the version that was passed in 2018 and blocked in court. The governor wanted to reinstate that version of the law after the change in Roe v. Wade and uh, an Iowa Supreme Court decision that kind of reversed where they stand on abortion rights in Iowa. But at that time, the Supreme Court, just they, they reached a split decision, which is somewhat rare. And so there was no change in the law. And Republican lawmakers were upset with that and extremely disappointed in the, the court's decision. They came back and held a special session and passed another version of that law, which is now blocked in court and will reach the Iowa Supreme Court for arguments at some point. But um, that may have been something that she had in mind was the reaction to that decision.
1: Mm-hmm. Grant in the final minute or two that we have here uh you covered the uh, the new state-funded charter schools approved this week. Uh tell us more
3: about that. Well, what's sort of unique is this is the largest batch or cohort of new charter schools to be approved by the Iowa State Board of Education uh and in any one year since the law was changed back in 2021. And so these are charter schools that are being applied for from uh, groups that are independent of any involvement by the local school district. That was the big law change. And uh, it's not an accident that we've seen more this year. The, the State Board of Education approved eight new charter schools that will all be in Des Moines or Cedar Rapids. Governor Kim Reynolds has been involved in recruiting some of these charter operators. So has a, a, a group called the Iowa Coalition for Public Charter Schools, which is for the most part one person. His name is Mike Hugele And he's been uh, working to reach out to charter school operators around the country to build interest in opening schools in Iowa. He's also interested in working with people within Iowa to build charter schools here. But for now, he's been looking for groups with experience around the country, um, especially working on um, problems like closing achievement gaps and with dropout recovery. And so some of these schools have focuses on those issues. But it's it's notable that there were so many that were approved this year.
1: Okay, Grant, we'll look forward to your coverage, especially of education issues uh, and debate in the legislature uh, as this session kicks off this week and uh, continues on until uh, April or May. We'll see. It's always um, interesting to see where the legislature ends up in its session compared to uh, where it started. IPR's Grant Gerlock, thank you so much. Good to be with you, Ben. Coming up after a short break, we've already had home state views of Chris Christie, not in the race anymore, Asa Hutchinson, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, and Donald Trump. Uh, Coming up after a short break, a home state view of GOP presidential candidate and entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy. Earlier this week, I spoke with Howard Wilkinson, senior political analyst uh, with Cincinnati Public Radio, WVXU. That's when we return with your news buzz. I'm Ben Kiefer. Back after a break.
0: Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.
1: It's River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. Let's continue with what will be the final installment of Home State view for the time being. It's a series here on River to River linked to the caucuses coming up in just three days on Monday, January 15th, caucus day. Well, in this series, if you've been listening, we're aiming for a different angle on these candidates than is given by the typical week by week press coverage, Uh, not a focus on the latest quotes, attacks or gaffes. Rather, it's a chance for us to find out about their family, and their political roots uh, to get to know these figures by talking with journalists from their home states. That's why we call it Home State View. We've already had Home State Views of Chris Christie. He's now out of the race, of course. Asa Hutchinson, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, and Donald Trump. Today, our focus on GOP presidential candidate and entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy. Joining us to do that howard wilkinson he's senior political analyst with cincinnati public radio wvxu howard welcome to the program thank you ben and uh, let's start off telling having you tell us a little bit about vivek's background his youth and background there in ohio
4: well vivek ralaswamy obviously was born here uh to indian uh immigrant parents um both of whom were, were pretty successful uh, professionals themselves. Vivek um, went to a, a Jesuit high school here in Cincinnati for boys. It's called St. Xavier High School. It's a pretty prestigious place. It turns out a lot of people who go into politics or business or who are well known figures in, the, in uh, Cincinnati politics now, although he lives now in Columbus. Uh, he's on the board of directors of that high school, but there have been some calls from other um, alumni to remove him from the uh, board of directors of St. Xavier High School because of some of his more, uh, what, what people believe are extreme views on various issues, uh, whether it's calling uh, January 6th an inside job or uh, his idea of raising the voting age to 25. And it it became quite a story. Uh, Tim Mulvey, who was the communications director for the January 6th committee, Uh, Is also a graduate of St. Xavier High School and published a letter in the Cincinnati Enquirer a few weeks ago, or last month, calling on uh, St. Xavier to drop Vivek Ramaswamy from the board of directors. Now, they won't do that. They say they're not going to do that. He's on sabbatical at this point. As soon as he announced his candidacy for the presidency, he... uh, uh, went on sabbaticals from the board, and he hasn't participated in any meetings ever since but it's kind of a mini controversy brewing you know one of the things you have to understand about Vivek is that he he went into not politics he went into business and he was an entrepreneur, a venture capitalist uh, he created this big pharmaceutical company uh, you know, uh invented a uh, asset management firm, and he may, has made a lot of money. He is a very, very wealthy man, but he has not been involved in politics. In fact, it wasn't until the man is 38 years old and he's been eligible to vote for 20 years. He didn't use that uh, right until the 2020 presidential election. He'd never voted.
1: Wow. He, he never vote. voted until the 2020 2020- Uh, election before that no no votes that's correct
4: he didn't vote he did not vote in the 2008 presidential election 2012 2016 he -hmm. went and registered as a voter in franklin county which is where columbus is and uh in time for the 2020 election and he did vote in that election but that's his only uh participation in in uh representative democracy. Period. Okay.
1: A wealthy entrepreneur here with a, um, a, a Jesuit uh, a high school background, uh, a valedictorian, I understand. Let's move into when he gets an interest in running for office. When and how did that happen?
4: Well, that came about, I believe, because there were certain Republicans uh, in the state, including the man who is now the state party chairman, who took a liking to him when he started talking about you know, his anti-woke uh, agenda. And he was a speaker at a lot of county party meetings around the state and other places and sort of developed a reputation for that. But he didn't get involved. There was some talk of him running – um, in the Republican primary for U.S. Senate last year, the one that JD Vance won and then got elected to the Senate, but he didn't do it. And a lot of you know a lot of people here on the ground in Republican circles were kind of surprised that he announced his candidacy for the presidency. But the thing you got to understand then is that when you talk about Ohio voters, the voters in Iowa by now, you know, three days out from the caucuses, they know a whole lot more about Vivek Ramaswamy than the voters of Ohio do. He is not a major political figure in this state.
1: Let's talk a little bit about more uh, of the issues he likes to speak about. Uh, He's -hmm. positioned himself as, I guess, characterized by NPR as a younger, more extreme Trump um, you mentioned some of the controversial positions uh, calling climate change a hoax, said he would cut funding for Ukraine, raising questions. You mentioned this about potential government involvement in nine eleven. wanting to raise the voting age to uh, 25. Um, so where do, do all these ideas come from? Tie that into his background, if that's possible.
4: Uh, that's a very good question. And I'm not sure. Uh, it's, it, it sort of it seems to have evolved in him. You know, he went to, to Ivy League schools, uh a bachelor's degree in uh, uh biology of all things from in, from Harvard and then he got his law degree from Yale. And over a period of time, from the kind of things he wrote and said, uh he became a, a conspiracy theorist. And um, he's continued that into his campaign. Uh, I mean, I, I'm sure the you know voters in uh, Iowa have seen him in the debates prior to the one that uh, took place this week, where he wasn't qualified to, to make the uh, debate stage. And he's he is an attack dog. He went after the Sanders. He went after. He went after Haley very hard, and she pushed back. Mm -hmm. Um, He he seems to be just kind of a guy who likes to start fires, uh, politically speaking.
1: Yeah. He has, though, consistently praised Donald Trump. Um, Even rumors uh, some weeks ago um, that he might be vying to be Trump's running mate. What can you say about his relationship to Donald Trump?
4: Well, clearly, one thing you know about Donald Trump is that if he doesn't like you, he's going to attack you one way or another. And Chris Christie has gotten it, and Ron DeSantis has gotten it, and Haley has gotten it. But he's never said anything bad about Ramaswamy. Now, that tells me one of two things uh, either he doesn't consider him relevant, or he approves of the message that. Ramaswamy is delivering. I don't know that he wants to be the vice presidential candidate. He might want to be on, the, you know, in a uh, Trump cabinet if Trump were to to win again. But I, frankly, I think he's running for like chief TikTok podcast advocate uh <laughs> for the anti-woke movement. I mean, that's what he's really running for, and and he's. That's what he emphasizes. That you know he he wants to be this, uh, uber voice on uh, the anti woke. Yeah,
1: and, and at the same time, uh, staying very close to uh, Donald Trump uh, on uh, in a, in a town hall on January sixth, uh, he said that he and former President Trump are the only two. America first candidates running for the Republican nomination. And in another way that he seems to be getting into the former president's good graces, this is this goes back a, a a few days. I'm sure you remember this, uh, that he uh, pledged to remove himself from Colorado's Republican primary ballot in response to that state's yeah. Supreme Court ruling uh, that former President Trump was ineligible here. So he's he's cozying up to the former president.
4: Yeah, he does. Yeah, he certainly does. Uh, You know, the the threat about Colorado probably doesn't make that much difference because he's not going to win that state's primary either. Uh, But uh, clearly he wants to be, as a presidential candidate, he wants to be an alternative to Trump for those Republicans who say, okay, well, Trump was good in his time, but we need somebody younger and he's always talking about how young he is. We want somebody younger and who shares the same philosophy, but is going to be around much longer than Donald Trump is going to be. And then they also look at the fact that Donald Trump could end up in prison. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy is, 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 uh, is not going to land in prison. So, you know, he's the... Alternative Trump for a lot of uh, republican voters
1: he's not polling well uh, here in Iowa, um, and so we can imagine perhaps some of the of course there can be surprises in in um, in the Iowa caucuses, but uh, based on what we know now and having traced the trajectory of his life in your reporting and analysis and for us here, what do you see about the the, the future of this? what did you say, 38-year-old um, Ohioan?
4: Well, number one, then I don't, you know, if he does poorly Monday in the caucuses, uh, he's not going to quit. He's going to keep this going for as long as he can because it's a platform for him uh, to get his message out and to get his name out and have people remember him. Now there's been some talk uh in Ohio of him possibly running for governor but that doesn't happen until 2026. Uh I I tend to doubt it just because number one there's a crowd forming for that. It's going to be an open seat mm. in 2026 and he's just going to have to take a number if that's what he wants to do and there's no I have no indication that he he does but people were whispering about it. Um like I said before, I think he's auditioning to be just the voice of the anti All right. And uh, he'll let the chips fall where they may, as far as uh, Trump is concerned and Trump's uh, possibility of a, of a second term.
1: All right. The home state view of Vivek Ramaswamy from Howard Wilkinson. Senior Political Analyst with Cincinnati Public Radio, WVXU. Howard, thank you for the insights. Thank you, Ben. And that does it for this Friday, January 12th edition of River to River, our news buzz to end a remarkable week of winter weather. Cece Mitchell of IPR Studio One joins us now to groove into the weekend. I hope you've been staying safe and warm, Cece.
2: Thank you, Ben. You too.
1: All right. What do you have for us?
2: So this first track I have to share with you today, it's from the indie pop duo Howdy. They're from Austin, Texas. And at times, I think their music can be pretty chill and laid back. They kind of are all over the place, really like indie rock sound from them. Uh, I think this latest single of theirs is a really great example of that sort of laid back sound that they have. The track is called Portrait by the band Howdy. Your
3: eyes are talking and they don't seem fine.